Micah, uh, chapter 1. So, a little introduction. Uh, you know, as we think about our minor prophets, we always have to think about the context um, uh, of, of the writing of, of the, the book, uh, the oracle, as, as is often the case, a spoken prophecy. Uh, so, we know that through Israel's, uh, the, the nation of Israel's transgressions, uh, there was judgment that came upon him. Uh, we, uh, upon them, the northern part of the kingdom was called Israel. Uh, the southern part of the kingdom, which was basically the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, were collectively called either the southern kingdom or Judah. Um, Micah is taking place after Assyria has conquered the northern kingdom, but before Babylon has come for the southern kingdom. Okay, and so there's several things to think about. So. Now, I'm not saying this ever happened, but um, picture there were a couple of boys who maybe um, the older one got in trouble. If the older one got punished, the younger one would be wise to say, you know, see what happened to my brother. Maybe I don't want to do that. There's a flavor of that in Micah. It's like, y'all, look what happened to Israel. Look what happened. God showed up and did exactly what he said he was going to do. Is there any reason to think that the same thing is not going to happen to you? That's kind of the, 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 um, uh, the local paraphrase that I would put out there. Uh, you know, look what happened. Any reason to think the same thing isn't going to happen to you. This is prophecy. This is a word of warning. This is... A, war, a word of um, reprimand. It's a word of um, here's what's going to happen if you don't change, uh, that type of prophecy. Uh, so that's kind of uh, the, the background there. Uh, Micah saw some fruit in his preaching. There was at least a season of repentance. He uh, taught in, this, in the um, time of the reign of King Hezekiah. Uh, and there was uh, some repentance there. Uh, and by way of background, I'd like for you to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 26. You can keep your finger in Michael 1, of course. And there's, you remember we went through Jeremiah, and there was a, a time when Jeremiah had been preaching and teaching, uh, and it wasn't going well for Jeremiah, and they didn't like what he was saying. And they said, you know, we just need to get rid of this guy. Literally, let's kill the messenger, Right? And if you look down to verse 12 of Jeremiah 26, it says, Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you, only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to you, I'm sorry, the Lord sent me to speak to you uh, all these words in your ears. Verse 16, then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke, 
saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of wooded height. 19. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord, and did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. So they're giving Micah as an example of a prophet who prophesied judgment if there wasn't a change. Hezekiah, as a leader of the country, heard that message, and there was some repentance there. And they're saying, you know, Hezekiah didn't put Micah to death, so we shouldn't put Jeremiah to death. So this shows that Micah was uh, certainly a respected prophet. His message was heard, and at least for a season was acted upon. So we're going to jump in uh, and go through, and I hope to get through maybe the first two chapters. Verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Uh, most of what we know of Micah is in that verse. It tells us where he was from, Moresheth, and it tells you uh, the time period. This is like, you know, when you take a picture of your phone and, and if you click the info button, there's a timestamp that tells you where, uh, in some cases, where you took it, um, uh, or at least when you took it, uh, the picture. So here's our timestamp, and they do it in reference to the kings. And um, uh, Jotham was probably maybe uh, at the one of the earlier kings, um, but most of his teaching was probably in the days of Hezekiah. And it says he was talking about Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, Samaria would have been the capital of the northern kingdom, all right? So that would, uh, this, what we, in, in this context, what we call Israel, that those 10 tribes to the north that had already been captured, but there was a residual seat of government there uh, in Samaria, and uh, then, of course, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. Verse 2. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. <clears throat> it goes on, and it's going to tell us a little bit why, but let's focus on these verses first. And Mary and I were talking this morning, and she was like, well, is Micah writing to a specific people in a specific day, or is he writing to us or whatever? And I'm like, well, yes, it's some of all of that. Uh, there is something in this for us, but there was something obviously very specific for the people that were his immediate audience. Uh, one of the things that we can learn today is uh, the role that God has um, as he connects with his people. So it says, um, let the Lord God be a witness against you. And we're going to find out if you think in legal terms, the Lord is doing it all. He is witness. He's going to be the prosecutor. 
and he's going to be the judge that decides the verdict. He's going to do all of those things in legal terms. Uh, it tells us that God is aware of what's happening with his people. This is not a deist God who created the world and just stood back and you know, wound up the clock to see what would happen afterwards and took a hands-off approach. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is very aware of what's going on in the world. It's his creation, after all, and he's especially concerned about what's going on with his people. And it says he's coming out of his place and is coming down to tread upon the high places of the earth. The high places were those areas of worship. There were high places where he was worshipped, but there were high places where idols were worshipped as well. And so here we have a picture where God is aware of what's going on, and now he's going to come, he's going to leave where he is and come down where you are. That's a pattern, right? That's a pattern that we'll see fully developed, of course, in Jesus. Uh, but he's like, okay, I'm coming. He's going to come down to where these people are, and he's going to shake the very foundations of what they've been putting their trust in, the security of the earth, the security of their political establishments, the security of their monetary establishments. He's coming, and he's, we're learned from him that not only is he aware of what's going on, not only is he willing to take action about what's going on, uh, he's willing to uh, be very disruptive if necessary in order to uh, make a point and in order to, uh, as we'll see later, keep his promises. Every so often I should have taken my notes. Um, one commentator, and, and this is kind of a, a good uh, tip, um, Anytime you're going through a passage of scripture and you're like, I'm just really not sure how that applies to me, right? Now, we love the New Testament because those applications seem to be much easier. Sometimes when you're grinding through a prophetic book, it's not always easy to think about that. But one little shortcut is you can always ask, what does this passage tell me about God? We've talked about a couple of those things, and this commentator lists them a little differently than I just mentioned, but... He says, we know God is a universal God. He rules all nations and peoples. Nothing stands out of God's control. God is holy, so his rule is characterized by the administration of true justice. I think that's a good observation. God is witness. We've talked about that. God is so overpowering that cre creation can't stand in his way. We talked about that. Humanity is helpless to avert the enforcement of divine judgment. In other words, what God says he will do. Um, the conclusion of this little passage I quoted, it says, it is essential that every person understands the nature of God and his ways so that the mistakes and misunderstandings that exist in the Micah's audience do not persist. So even though the circumstances may be different now, the one constant that we have is God is still the same. God still cares about what happens. He still cares about the actions of his people, and he still cares about intervening uh, when necessary. Verse 5, we get a little touch of the why about this judgment. It says, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? 
Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay waste. From the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Um, We'll get some specifics as to what the transgressions were. Uh, But here it it mentions the capital cities, uh, Samaria and Jerusalem, uh, basically saying that uh, all of those institutions that are there, the the idols, the the buildings, all of those things are just going to basically be leveled uh, in God's uh, judgment. And that had already happened to a degree with Samaria, and the implication was it's going to happen to Judah as well. Now, verse 8 through really verse 15, I think if Micah was alive today, this would be in the form of a rap. Now, although I have been known to rap in the privacy of my own home, I've actually rapped in, in church one time back in the Beyond days, those of you that remember that, but I will not embarrass the many members of my family that are gathered here today. Uh, but there is a lot of wordplay here in the Hebrew, all right? So I'm going to go through this uh, in a few different ways just to capture the idea of that wordplay. Now, you can get a little flavor of this if you remember the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Those are what we call the letters, what? The letters to the churches, the letters to the seven churches. And you'll recall that there was something in each passage where the, the kind of prophecy or the, the uh, condemnation or whatever about that particular church was usually connected to something in the town, right? The most famous one we think of was the, the judgment against Laodicea. What was the judgment there? You are so lukewarm. I spit you out of my mouth, right? That resonated because they got their water from hot springs that were up the hill. And by the time it made it down to the city, it was just it was just lukewarm, right? So there was a connection there. When he said, you're lukewarm, that was a connection to that city. Well, in the same way, uh, there is a little bit of a connection as... Some local villages, small cities, towns, are called out in these passages. And uh, I'll try to highlight a few of those because I had no idea what I was missing until I came across this. Um, All right, verse 8. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and uh, mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, it has come to Judah, it has reached to the gate of my people. Now, basically, this is Micah's little uh, preparatory thing saying, um, you can get the idea that he is passionate about this. This is something that he is going to try to express in his strongest terms as possible, lamenting and wail, I will go stripped and naked, right? So if you want to know how serious it is, if I stripped, don't think about that long. Um, 
you might think I'm crazy or something really different is going on. And I guess that was the thing that you did back in the prophecy days, or at least he's threatening to do that. All right, verse 10. Tell it not at, in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come out. The lamentation of Bethizel shall take you away from its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgression of Israel. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Moresh Gath. The houses of Achib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you. The inhabitants of Mereshav, the glory of Israel, shall come to Adullam. All right. So I'm freely going to consult the commentary here, but um, here's the breakdown. Go back to, to verse 10. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. So this is a reference to, um, this reference to, to Gath uh, refers to when uh, Saul and Jonathan died in battle and the Philistines were really gloating about it. And they were from the area of Gath and it's saying that he doesn't want people in Gath to boast about um, uh, uh, or to to talk about uh, what, had, what had happened to them and, and to gloat, um, or for the Assyrians to, to be gloating about what was going on. Uh, this one about um, Bethlehaphra, uh, roll yourselves in the dust. Well, apparently, Bethlehaphra means house of dust. So it's basically saying house of dust, you know, roll yourselves in the dust. Verse 11 says, pass on your way, inhabitants of Shephir, in nakedness and shame. Shafir means beautiful. So it said, look, you know, you think you're beautiful? You're actually going to be naked and in shame. Uh, there's one that says, um, uh, um, Zainan um, uh, means to go out. And here we have, you know, you're not going to go out. Bethizel says, um, uh, it means the house of, of taking away. I'm not sure what the context of that is, but it says the house of taking away, it's going to take you from its standing place. The inhabitants of, of Maroth wait anxiously for good. Remember back in the book of Ruth, when Naomi comes back to Israel, and they say, oh, Naomi, it's, it's good to see you. And she said, no, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because that means bitter, because she was not happy with what was going on. Well, Maroth sounds like the word bitter, and it says, you know, you've been looking for something good uh, or something sweet. Instead, it's going to be bitter. This, uh, in verse 13, this city of uh, Lachish, or, or Lachish um, was known as a military uh, headquarters, and they had a lot of the armaments there. And it says, yeah, you know, lash up your, your steeds uh, to the chariots, uh, but in, you're not going to the battle. You'll be running from the battle is basically what it's saying. Um, this other one about uh, Morsheth Gath um, had to do with 
uh, kind of like the dowry that you would uh, give uh, for a marriage contract. And it says, you know, are you going to get a parting gifts? So you see the con, the context there. Um, verse 15, this, uh, the inhabitants of Marishah, apparently Marishah sounds like the same word that is used for conqueror and so forth. Um, now, paraphrases um, can sometimes uh, help us out of a bind. And so uh, probably the most popular paraphrase we have in the Bible uh, nowadays is called the message. And this is how uh, uh, the message puts it. Don't gossip about this in tell town. Don't waste your tears. In Dustville, roll in the dust. In Alarm Town, the alarm is sounded. The citizens of Exitburg will never get out alive. Lament, last and city, there's nothing in you left standing. The villagers of Bittertown wait in vain for sweet peace. Harsh judgment has come from God and entered Peace City. All you who live in Chariotville, get in your chariots for flight. You led the daughter of Zion into trusting not God but chariots. Smaller sins in Israel also got their start in you. Go ahead and give your goodbye gifts to Goodbyeville. Mirage Town beckoned but disappointed Israel's king. Inheritance City has lost its inheritance. Glory Town has seen the last of its glory. You get the idea. Uh, so Micah is really trying to drive the point on um, about uh, this is a very, um, it's, you could almost say, hey, you think your city is without sin? No. And he kind of customizes it uh, all the way around. Let's jump on in quickly to chapter 2. Verse 1, Woe to those who divide wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I'm devising disaster for which you cannot remove your necks and you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. In verse one, we have woe to you who basically lie in bed thinking of evil. And in verse three, it says, you know what? You're not the only one making plans. God says, I'm devising your disaster and you're not going to escape it. There's this parallelism. There's this you know, this rhetorical language that he's using to really drive his points across. And here there's, there's specific um, judgment against people who were just going after the almighty dollar or whatever it would have been back in the day, um, saying, you know, you're getting to the very root of um, God's promise. You know, how many times, and we've heard Pastor Bobby talk about it, Dad has talked about this, Back then, it was all about the land. The land was their inheritance. And he's saying, you know, you guys are just taking their land. And the, we talked about the time of Jubilee, uh, which, of course, Pastor Bobby, I think, has corrected. Was, uh, it was 50 years, not 15 years, uh, those of you that were in here. Um, he was a little embarrassed about that, I think. Um, they weren't, they weren't uh, adhering to that. They were taking their land, and they were keeping it. Uh, he says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring judgment to get that. 
Verse 4, in that day thou shalt, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined and so forth. Verse 5, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Uh, that's how they originally, you know, got the portions of the land was casting by lot and said, you know, you're not going to have a part of that. So this is, this is a judgment against greed, against uh, ignoring God's laws. Remember, they were supposed to... Um, uh, they were supposed to return uh, the land after a certain period of time. Uh, there was um, well, I'll move on. Let's see, uh, verse six. Uh, this section starts up a passage about false prophets. Uh, do not preach. My Bible has quotes. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children, you take away my splendor forever. Uh, you're basically making people homeless. You're driving them out. The effect is going to affect, you know, the future generation to the children. Um, and these false prophets are saying, oh, don't preach these things. Uh, this don't apply to us. They say, you know, should this affect the house of Jacob? Isn't the Lord going to take care of us? Aren't we fine? You know, which is probably just one of the cringiest words, right? How are things? Fine. You know, how am I doing? I'm fine. You know, I mean, there's nothing fine about any of this. I'll um uh, let me let me finish up. I, I'm going to have to skip a few things in the interest of time, but um, let me work on through this uh, passage, and then we'll just go back and I'll comment on a few things. Um, verse ten: Arise and go, for this is no place to rest, because of uncleanness that destroys with grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter, utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be a preacher for this people. Uh, basically saying, uh, I hear basically this prophet is, is preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm giving you the easy lifestyle. Follow me. Right? It's, it's going to be good times. The wine and the beer is going to flow freely. Verse 12, we have this change in tone. God's talking together again. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. The king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. 
several things in these last two verses. We get just a glimpse. This concept of, I will assemble you, I will gather the remnant of Israel. Remember, we've talked about this remnant. I found one commentator really put this together better than a lot of places I'd seen where they say in the Bible, the remnants talked about three, um, in three ways. One is the people who are physically left in a place. So like when the northern kingdom was carried off to Assyria, there was a remnant of people that were left there. They didn't take them all, right? When Judah was captured by the Babylonians and Daniel, for example, and his buddies were taken back to Babylonia, um, later Persia, uh, there was a remnant of people who were still there, right? Um, so that's one way it's used. The second way it's used is um, a section of uh, the Hebrews who may be remain true to God. Uh, that's the least common way it's used. And then the third way the remnant is used is in eschatology terms, at the end of days, when the remnant includes that remnant of Israel, as well as those of us Gentiles who have been grafted into God's plan, right? Those are kind of the three ways that remnant is used. And this picks up one in the first and third types, because you here you have, I will assemble you all, Jacob. So here you have this lordship picture, but then we also have this, this servant shepherd picture. It says, I will pull them together like sheep in a fold, right? And of course, Isaiah was the, the, the one we normally think about as a shepherd uh, savior. And uh, of course, that calls to mind Jesus, who was the good shepherd, of course. Um, several things occurred to me as I worked through this passage, and I'll digress a little bit from the text. Um, where are all the worship songs about judgment? I looked up. Um, Google, as, as broad as it is, had a hard time finding anything to do with worship songs about judgment. There are a few hymns that were mentioned. I found, literally just, I found a, a post on Reddit from like 10 years ago where this was a little topic for discussion. It came about, and I'm going to spare you this, um, much to Merritt's delight. Um, the genre of Christian music that talks about judgment is Christian metal. This is people that, rawr, 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 you know, that kind of. Um, and uh, I've got a great clip, but I'll just, we, won't, can't, we can't get to it. Um, but they're really the ones that are out there just bringing the judgment. And it's not popular talked about. Uh, another random thought passed through my head as I was doing my lesson. I'm like, how often has Joel Osteen preached on holiness? Here's what Google said. Not many results contain holiness. Do you really want to search for Joel Osteen sermons just on that include the word holiness? <laughs> By way of comparison, um, John Piper. Tim Keller, Chuck Swindoll, all had between three to 5,000 examples uh, that they were able to pull together on holiness. And I would not consider any of them fire and brimstone talk types, right? Um, that's, just, that's just not what they're known for. And I'm going to close with this concept that the gospel involves balance, right? So here we get a lot of judgment and just a, we, we want to hold on to the good shepherd part of, of, of this, right? 
Um, but, you know, I will say to Pastor Bobby's credit, um, he tries to bring balance. You know, I, I don't think typically of Billy Graham as being someone who wants to put people off, right? He's wanting to engage people. He's wanting to bring people to Christ. Uh, I found this as I was looking for sermons on, on judgment and holiness. I said, well, I wonder if Billy Graham ever said anything like this. You know, he, I, I've considered him like the, the good side of positivity. I'm going to play one brief clip. We'll see if it, it comes through. This is from Milwaukee, Scripture 1979. That you had to search and pursue happiness. You find happiness as you do your duty. You find happiness as you lead a disciplined life before God. You'll have periods of happiness. But God nowhere promises happiness is to be a goal in life. It's not a goal. Our goal is to obey God. Our goal is to do the will of God. Our goal is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we move along, we will pick up happiness here and there along the way. If you sense a longing for God, a desire to change and be a new person, that's God speaking to your heart. And as you respond, He will give you the ability and the power to change because He has to do the changing. To delay makes the right decision harder. And indecision in itself is a choice. You decide tonight that you're going to wait till some other time. That's a choice. away from God. And your heart gets harder, the Bible says. And the next time you have an opportunity to come to Christ, your heart may not be as ready as it is tonight. He can fill that cosmic void in your heart because that void in your heart is made because you are made in the image of God. And without God, there's a void there that only God can fill. Nothing else can fill it. Marriage can't fill it. Drugs can't fill it. Sex can't fill it. Alcohol can't fill it. Friendships can't fill it. The church even can't fill it. Religion can't fill it. But the person of Jesus Christ can fill it. That was a minute and 53 seconds of Billy Graham, and it's very humbling how he could do like that um, in a minute and 53 seconds. I probably should have just led with that and prayed afterwards. But, um, but here's Billy Graham. You know, it's, it's basically saying it's not about you. It's about God. And that's what Micah was preaching, and um, I'll try to fill in some of the gaps next week, but uh, we've kind of run long, so uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the prophets of old and the prophets of today. Uh, Raise up new ones among us. Empower them and give us ears to hear. We thank you for uh, the ultimate prophet, Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, Jesus, and the ultimate savior, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.